0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested Take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell.
0: Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James.
1: My guest today, Damon Harriman. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, I should say, I've been trying to arrange this interview with you for, uh, I think, three years. <laughs> that makes me sound very difficult to get hold of, doesn't no, it? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, you know what it is. Because in researching this, I looked at your IMDb Pro, and you haven't had a lot of downtime.
0: Well, look, I have had a. a, a, a I call it a very fortunate few years because it is really that i've 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 had uh, plenty of the uh, downtime at other points in my career so i I do feel very fortunate uh, for the work that I've had in the in the last i guess the last five or six years particularly has been the the, the most work I've had in my in my career and uh, and I do realize that it is to a very large extent just a bit of good timing and good luck and um, uh, so yeah, I I, I I do feel very grateful.
1: But that's interesting because when I went right back to the start with the Sullivans, nineteen seventy six. When did you join? Well,
0: <coughs> yeah, I think on IMBB it says seventy six because that's when it started. But I joined in eighty. In I did it in 80, 81.
1: Okay, okay. But since that time, it looked to me like you've had something going on every year.
0: Yeah, I mean. I, it's probably a bit deceptive, I mean I, I definitely worked quite solidly as a kid when I did the Sullivans. I worked for about three years on different miniseries and other and other Australian series. and then when i kind of when I went to high school i I, I really sort of lost interest in acting. Um, I, I just figured that was something I'd done, and now I would go and study and learn how to do a proper job right and uh, so I didn't really do a lot in in the five years during high school. And it was really only that I finished high school not, not having come to a conclusion of what I wanted to be that really took me back into thinking about being an actor again. Okay. And uh, it also coincided with my dad moving from Adelaide, where I, where I grew up, uh, to Sydney for work. And uh, so I, I went with him. And that also kind of, um, I guess, sparked a bit more interest in the idea of, of continuing acting because obviously there's a lot more work in Sydney than in Adelaide. Yeah.
1: When you when you look back on those days in high school what kind of things did you entertain about what you oh, might want to do? A vet.
0: I wanted to be a vet. Oh, really? In fact if you look at uh, even even when I was doing the Sullivans and now the other acting jobs when I was 10 11 12 uh, any interviews um, that asked what I wanted to do when I grew up I would say a vet. And that sort For of our
1: American audience that uh, means a veterinary surgeon not A military veteran. Yes, right. That's a good. That's a good clarification. Because I used to joke and say, I've got to take myself to the vet. I've got a sore throat, and people would look at me very strangely. Here, I need a translator with me at all times. Right. Right. Right.
0: Why were you taking yourself to the vet? Is what I. Well, it
1: was a joke. It was like you know because yeah, I'm part dog, part human. I don't know. I I have a love of animals, but I could never have been a vet because I don't think I I could have done all those things you have to do right. that hurt them.
0: Yeah, look, it was... Looking back now, I think it was just one of those childhood things of loving animals and wanting to wanting yeah, to yeah, do yeah, a job yeah. with animals. But yeah. I think probably around the age of 15, I, I, I went off that idea and then just was confused as to what I wanted to do. I just didn't know. I, I didn't... Uh, we'd have kind of job, um, what, what did they call them, those <clears throat> sessions at school where you would try and work out what the appropriate... Like, vocational guidance. That type of thing, exactly. Yeah, or vocational not guidance. Yeah, well, I came out of it with with no idea at all. I, I, okay. I, I, I think once there was, there was something where we did it, you, 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 you sort of chose a certain number of categories, and if you chose a certain number of categories that all matched, it would tell you what your the ideal job for you was and I did that when I was 15 and it came back dietitian and I was like I don't don't want to be a dietitian (laughs) I really don't want to be a dietitian and nothing wrong with dietitians but that doesn't really appeal to me but that was the job it was suggesting so I, I just kind of went through high school really not knowing what I wanted to do and not really considering that acting was one of the things and when I was um when I was 18, uh, before I'd moved to Sydney, I did a play in Adelaide. It was just an amateur production, but it got me... It was a, a, um, Brighton Beach Memoirs, the Neil Simon play, and it really got me interested again. It was so much fun. Okay. And then, uh, as I say, when I moved to Sydney, then um, it seemed really to make sense to, to have a look into to getting back into it, which was easier probably than it would have been if I was starting from scratch, but it was definitely harder than... I was expecting because you know I was 18 the last time I'd really been acting a lot I was 12 of two very different ages and it didn't feel that long ago to me Um, and it wasn't that long ago in years really but um, you know suddenly this little kid is an adult and it was it was weird kind of going around having to reintroduce yourself to everybody
1: yeah that's that status thing that you and I were talking about personally before this where you are one thing in your in your mind, right. based on what you've previously done, right. and then you're mixing it up in a different level, right. and nobody knows you. Yeah. Well, they know you, but they know you as something that you don't see yourself as any longer. I mean, yeah. you were
0: not a twelve-year-old boy; no. you're now a man. No, and it was yeah. It was. I think I just assumed that you know, get, getting auditions for things, getting work, would come a little easier because the last time I'd acted they did come easily. It was, there weren't many kid actors around when I was doing it at 10, 11, 12, it was me and like two other kids. So there was always one of us, you know, yeah. and, and suddenly you're 18 and you're, you're one of hundreds, you know. Uh, so it was a completely different world that I was entering into. And, and it, was a, it was a slow, it was a, a slow, uh, uh, you know, comeback, if, we, if that's the right word.
1: Have you done ongoing training? Has that been part of what you've done?
0: No, I've actually never done training, and I and I don't say that proudly. It's just sort of the way things have turned out. I, I think um, I think it always scared me a bit um, because I started acting as a kid and I was doing these jobs, uh, sort of I guess just on instinct really, um, and then of course you you know you, you get to eighteen or whatever, and 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 people are auditioning for NIDA or Whopper or VCA and. And people would be asking, "Are you going to do that? Are you going to try and get into one of those schools?" But it, it, it always it always scared me. I, I just I um, I and 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 also I think I think it scared me because I didn't really know, uh, I didn't really know what it was to act. I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. I just did it like it was mm. it, it was very uh, instinctive thing. And I, and I and I think I was scared of what it would be like to suddenly be breaking everything down and and, and, and maybe maybe I would become a worse actor if oh, I did I that. Oh, I know. I love
1: you know. this. I love this. Uh, I didn't
0: know. I'm sure. I, yeah. I'm sure that wouldn't have been the case. But I just wasn't. Also, just the idea of you know I had this idea in my head of oh you know you're going to be standing in front of a lot of people, looking at you, criticizing you, tearing you apart. I, I just didn't know if I had the oh yeah the constitution for that. Um, I totally but, get that. Also, uh, the other thing was, I knew that those courses were all three years, and once I'd got back into acting, I I started getting work, and I didn't really want to take three years off, you know, which you essentially have to do, you have to take three years off paid work anyway, and I I just thought, well, what if if in that three years, some awesome job comes up, and you know, as it turns out, in that three years, um, I did a film called The Big Steel, which was one of, you know... The, my favourite things to have done, and it was a, it was you know, with I met Ben Mendelsohn and Claudia Carvin doing that, and uh, we've we've remained friends uh, to this day. And t- to not have been in that film would is a is a horrible thought to me. I, that yeah. was it was it was a, an incredible um, time for me, and I loved it, and I and I'm proud to be a part of that film. So, um, if I had gone to acting school, that would have clashed completely, and I wouldn't yeah. have done that. I
1: think there's a, in my experience, I, I've come up against a bit of snobbery. Uh, with that, you know, oh, so where did you train? Right. And um, and that was from my, my peers. From uh, people who were more senior in the industry, agents, managers, directors, casting directors, they kept saying to me, oh, don't do any, don't do that. You, you've got the life experience. You've got the life experience. You're a natural, don't don't worry. Because I only came to this 10 years ago. Right. So don't worry about all of that. And But I, I still did a little bit of training because I didn't have what you had. And I needed to learn some basics um, so that I could get through. But it, it's just an interesting time. And occasionally I've wondered, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd started this out of school mm. and gone through that process of Whopper NIDA, VCA um, or the, the Actors Centre or, or you know a similar school and and gone through that journey mm. but I think acting throughout its core and, I, and I'm interested to hear if you agree with this or not, is a classic case of what's meant for you won't go past you. Right. And in that way if you If you do the work whether that's training or being engaged in in various productions in any way shape or form whether it's writing directing producing acting the more you learn about the industry what is meant for you won't go past you
0: Mm. has has
1: that been your experience yeah
0: i think that's i think that's probably true you know you can't really put a price on uh, on 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 actually doing it and, and having the experience of working with great people and and uh, there's no question that, you know, even if you're not doing it consciously, you're learning on the job all the time, yeah. you know. I, I, you know, just going back to the studying thing, there are definitely still times I think, not, not that I think, oh, I wish I had, but there are definitely times I think, oh, I could have done with that because I still to this day will have, uh, I, I think of a scene I, I was doing in something a few months ago where... Because I guess I just rely on what feels right, what mm. feels instinctively right. There, there was a scene I was doing where I just couldn't, I couldn't make myself feel comfortable in this particular space. It was like a, the front hallway of this house, and I was standing in the doorway next to this hallway, and it was just weird. I was kind of kept joking with the director, saying this is like the the, 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 the calling it like the hallway of bad acting or something. Because yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't work out how to act well in this hallway and it was just like some stupid thing where it just the for some reason usually you know when you're doing things instinctively you can kind of work out what's right and wrong sometimes you can't you're just going something feels eggy about this and I can't tell what it is and I think that's that's when probably having done three years of technical training yes you actually can get over that stuff because um, you're not just basing what you do on what feels right. It doesn't ne- necessarily have to feel right all yeah. the time.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one because I know a lot of actors who have done all the training and they still wouldn't be able to dig themselves out of a situation like that. Right. I think there are just times when you come up against a specific situation that, and the way, the way you are. I mean, we're so tidal, you know, um, we're, so, we're shifting. So the, the, the prep that you do for something one day, sometimes you can't bring it to life the next day when you're on set. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Have you had that mm-hmm. kind of...
0: Yeah, absolutely. Guy? Absolutely. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's a horrible feeling. I know. When you, when you know that you've actually, you feel really comfortable and happy with something you've worked on in your, in your living room and then in an audi- audition or on set, yeah. you can't replicate it. It's... Uh,
1: um, have you, I hate to be negative, but have you had an audition experience that you would never want to repeat?
0: Oh my God. I mean, I feel like all of them. <laughs> um, I mean, I hate auditions. Uh, I, I, I have had ones that I've not hated, that's definitely true. And more so, I've had more of those in the last 10 years than the previous 20, that's for sure. Um, but uh, cuz i think you know something at least, one of the good things about getting older is you care less about mm. about uh things like oh, what are people thinking or, who are looking being at me perfect or, or, yeah, or yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah i mean picking one horrible audition i don't know if i have one particular one but 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 you know there are plenty where you know, I, I got worked up into such a bundle of nerves that I just no you know, that, that's normally my, my bad audition f- stories are all the same. It's getting, getting yourself really, really nervous before you going in and then going in and then having a wave of even more nerves and then sitting outside your body and watching and assessing yourself and going, oh, you're really bad. This is a terrible. This is a terrible piece of acting, and you will not be getting this job.
1: And all of this is going on in your head. Yeah. At the same time as you're. Yes. Saying the words.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Actually, having two separate conversations. What I what I've discovered though, and it's 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 some solace, is that sometimes that feeling is not actually what is presented. Yeah. Um, there's a, a a job I did a couple of years ago, a series over here called Quarry and that was oh, you a, were
1: wonderful in that
0: oh thank you alan it was an amazing role i mean that that makes a that makes a huge difference i think um for me it's kind of everything is, is what what the role is on the page but um uh, that that had a, a, a couple of uh, auditions and the final audition is uh the, the kind of scary one you hear about over here where you if you're going for a series regular and something where you have to go into a theaterette in front of a room of dark dark heads that you can't make out who anybody is and um no one's really talking to you there's not even a camera which is really weird because you're doing a, a screen test but there's 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 no screen it's just people watching you in a theater and i i remember doing that audition and having a complete out of body experience assessing myself going oh you've stuffed it you've really you've really lost this you 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 had a shot it was one of two and you and you were doing a bad job and you're not going to get this and it it was and i and i believed it and i walked out of that room feeling beyond miserable because I I thought this is a role of a lifetime and uh and it was just between me and someone else and I just thought I have stuffed it and uh turned out I did get that job so so sometimes I think what you feel like is happening what you are assessing is happening in the moment of an audition or a, a scene that you're shooting um is not necessarily how it's playing for everybody watching, which is nice to know. It's it, I think sometimes you're you have a, an an acting autopilot that can take care of itself, even if you're not feeling it.
1: Yeah, and there's Hollywood is full of, of coaches who specialise in that. Right. Um, finding the right one f- for you to talk to is uh, is interesting, but but I think that. Um, That kind of, there's the technical excellence that you have to master. There's no getting around that. Excuse me. But then, there is that how to get out of your own way, how to get out of your head. Mm -hmm. Um, Because phrases are tossed around like, um, so I wasn't meaning to get so technical in this interview, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, Phrases like, um, um, let it go. Um, Do the work, then let it go. get out of your own head, uh, trust yourself. You can say those things till the cows come home, but there needs to be an actual moment where you take a breath, let it out, and just do the work. Otherwise, you, do, you can drive yourself insane. <laughs> yeah. And also understand that, that, for me, it's been understanding that auditions will be different, and some of them I'm not, I'm not meant to get. And, and the ones that I think, oh, this is, the, this is it, this is it and then i do a really good audition and i don't get it right or i'll do a, what i think is a really bad audition and i get it <laughs> so it's like you know you don't i mean yeah i just i just think it's part of it's it's part of that process when you when you get your sides when you get your script for an audition do you have a do you have a set process that you go through
0: i mean I guess I do, but it's not really one that it's, it's, it's pretty kind of shoddy. It's really just I sit down and I think because, you know, again, going back to not, not having learnt any kind of process, I, I definitely, you know, I, I, I have active friends who I'll see their script and it's just covered in notes and covered in thoughts. And like, my, my scripts are completely bare. All the time, and the only things I would write down a direction that the director might have given me if, if we were rehearsing or something, but yeah. other than that I just um, I just uh, read it and read it with taking into account whatever other information I have whether that 's because I 've also read the script in full or whether I've hopefully read a character breakdown of some kind to give you an idea of who this person is meant to be um, and that is. That is pretty much it. And sometimes, um, well, usually when it's a really well-written character, I I get a really good idea in my head of who that person is and how I would see myself playing that person. Mm -hmm. And I normally, I've kind of learnt that the times that I probably shouldn't do a role is when I don't get that feeling because when I... When I don't get that feeling, and that could be either because it's not well written, or it could just be that I'm just not right for it, but if I don't get that feeling where I can really clearly see myself doing it when I'm reading it, then I shouldn't do it, because when I have ended up, um, on the rare occasions that I've done a job where I've had that feeling when I read it, I've... I've not enjoyed doing it. I've mm. felt that I was not very good in it when I was doing it, and then I've watched it and I and I was right. <laughs> I didn't think I was very good in it when I watched it either. So I, I, I really, now I, I, I'm always looking for that feeling when I read something that I can go, yep, I know, I, I'm sure I know how to do that.
1: Yeah. You're a writer as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I try. try. Certainly fill my time, fill my spare time with it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So when you look like you made you contributed to the writing of something like The Gentleman's Guide to Knife Fighting Mm -hmm. and you you you've written and produced a couple of shorts Mm -hmm. so have you found since you became engaged as a writer that that has changed your acting or your approach to it or helped in any way hmm for a friend yeah
0: Look, I don't because I really sort of started playing around with writing when I was about 25, and I'm 47 now, so that's a while ago. Um, I, I I don't remember if that's made a specific uh, change. I would say, if anything, it's probably just changed the way I um, read dialogue. Like, I, I think because I know how I like to write dialogue. I now, I think, have a more acute idea of what I don't like in dialogue when I read it or what I do like. Um, uh, And I think there's such a massive difference between good and bad dialogue. I think when you read dialogue that just, just sings and flows and feels like it just comes, you know, comes out, off it's the like tongue perfectly. It's a yeah, yeah, that's you right. You can't
1: do anything else with it. That's than right. You do it that's right. It's, it's all on the page. It's great,
0: and you just, you just, yes, it's almost like the, the I've, I've used this phrase before. The, the acting is, is, is built into the dialogue. Sometimes we just go, oh, I'll just say that, and that all that should probably sound fine. That's probably going to seem good because it, that's so well written. And then you know, the, the opposite of that is, is those times where you read something and just go nobody talks like that. And, you know, even if this is not said in the real world, even if if this is meant to be a heightened world, still nobody talks like that. I don't even believe they talk like that in this world. You know, this is just hard to say. I don't know how to make that sound good saying it. And that's that's always the toughest stuff. I think um, for me, I can't speak for other actors, but for me, I I think, uh, you know, so much credit Is due to the writer when the acting is being um, praised. Uh, I think I think uh, you know that the writing makes the acting infinitely better when it's good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that um, that notion of when I first started writing dialogue, and I and I was writing an argument, and um, and it's very easy when you start writing an argument. You just you come up with words she says, he says, She says, he says and then you think, That's not how I argue. Right. And I bet that's not how a lot of people argue. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about with a lover, with someone mm. you're in a relationship with. Mm-hmm. It's not we wish it could be bang, 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 mm. bang, but it's not. Mm. It's it's faces, it's reaction shots, it's stillness, it's silence, the frustration of silence, or it's a slam door or, um, but it's ultimately it's, what I came to for, for my writing is it's the not being heard. So when it comes to putting that down on a page to convey that not being heard so that the actor can do that is, is where the the magic sits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when you when you you get that and you give it to somebody else to read and say, can we read this and see how it works? And it's like, ooh, good. Now let me do the other 89 pages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So let's talk about Australia and the US. So so you've been an actor in Australia. You started up again when you were 18. Yeah. So how long were you in Australia before you thought I'm going to try the US and what prompted that?
0: Well, I kind of made two different trips over here that had two very different uh, outcomes. Uh, I guess through the 90s, the idea of coming here, you know, I, I'd never, I, I'm very much a realist. Uh, I've never been a kind of dreamer type. So I, I was kind of like, ah, there's no, I'm not going to get a job over there. You know, there's no reason. I would see the Australian actors who did work there, and it was usually on the back of a big Australian film that cracked it over there. And I was like, "Well, until unless that were to happen, there's no reason that they're going to give me a job." And then in um, in the late '90s, my Australian agent at the time had uh, had come and opened a management office in America, and. She was talking about the fact that if I ever came over here because she was my agent in Australia, she would automatically be my manager in America. And that seemed like an interesting idea. And then around that time, I also heard about this green card lottery and thought, okay, well, why don't I enter that and see what happens? So I entered that in 99, one and only time, and and got it, got the green card. So uh, suddenly um, I was... uh, you know very close to turning 30 so my twenties had come to an end, and it felt like um the the start of a new chapter really this this idea of okay well, I'm gonna sell up everything in Australia, I'm gonna move to Los Angeles, a place I've never been um and i'm gonna my plan was to stay stay here for a year and then see what happens after that. so I had a big farewell. I sold all my stuff and uh and I came over here, and I had uh, the worst ten weeks of my life. It was truly, truly horrible. And it was, it was, um, you know, it was really. I think it was a, it was a combination of unfortunate things. Um, not least being that I, there was no reason for an American to have any interest in hiring me. I mean, I was a, I was a 29-year-old character actor with no credits. They knew. I mean, I, I had my. My VHS of my uh, showreel, and it had you know some water rat scenes on it, but you know there was nothing what, what I've since discovered is that unless unless you're you know nineteen and very good looking, which is a whole different thing, that you can just walk into any room here then I think, but if you're um, if you're not in that category, you, you it's very difficult here to get a foot in the door if they don't know anything. That you've done whether that be an australian credit that's broken over here or an american credit that was shot in australia not to say it can't happen i mean there's plenty of careers where it has happened it's just usually a longer road like i guess an example would be naomi watts who i think was nine or ten years until she did mulholland Mulholland drive um so i sort of discovered that a bit later but when i was when I was initially here on that first trip, I thought, oh, it's just a matter of if you, if you can act and you've done a bit of acting. I've been acting for 20 years now, so I'll be fine. You know, I'll get, I've got a manager, I'll start auditioning and hopefully I'll get work.
1: They'll just call me in and I'll yeah. dazzle them. And, yeah. yeah
0: so, so what ended up actually happening was um, I didn't get any auditions, like not one. Um, my manager arranged some agent meetings. I think I had three, all of them said no. I had a girlfriend in Australia at the time who I was very much in love with, who I was missing terribly. And I was living uh, with someone here who uh, wasn't really um, kind of including me in their life or in any way. So I was very much alone and I didn't know anybody. So I was lonely as well. I had really no friends, no sign of work uh, and very quickly got very down. I was, it was, um, I mean, L.A. can be an incredibly fun place and a very exciting place, but it can also be really lonely. It's, it's not... I think it's the opposite of New York in that sense, that if you were alone and not working in New York, you could just walk out onto the street and feel like you're a part of something. Yes. In Los Angeles, you don't feel a part of it at all unless it invites you to the party. It's like It's like standing at the window, you know, it's like standing out in the rain at the window of a really rocking, pumping house party and everyone inside is having a great time. And they look at you and wave, but they're not gonna come and open the door. That's what it sort of felt like. So it was, it was, it was, a, it was a horrible time. I, I just didn't know what I was gonna do. I, um, I uh, had never actually felt like that before in my life. I'd never felt so low and helpless. I was like, I've, I've said goodbye to everybody and I've sold everything and I don't really wanna be here anymore. And eventually I just bit the bullet and I think it was 10 weeks later I um, I went home and really had no interest in ever coming back. And it took quite a few months to even get over that experience. It was, uh, you know, to even, I, I, I didn't know where to live, I didn't know what to do in Australia. I, it was that embarrassing thing of running into people and saying... Hi, I'm I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you were in LA. Yeah, yeah, I was. It uh it sucks. It's a re- yeah. I'd knock that. Didn't didn't. And that idea
1: up. that everybody, 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 all they can th- think of saying is, you know, mm, Ella's not doing as well. Or, right. You know, and of course, of course they're not thinking that. They. Mm. It doesn't even.
0: No, but cross that's what you. Mind. That's what you. You but really that's what feel you like, think, Yes, you've got you your know. tail really firmly between your legs, yeah. going. I'm ashamed and embarrassed, you know, that's what it felt like. So anyway, fast forward, I I, I was then in Australia for about uh, three years and by that time, because I hadn't come back, I knew the green card had lapsed, but I didn't care because I I figured that I'd had my shot, I'd given it a go and it didn't work out. And then um, the only thing that changed all that was that I I, I got this role in this film, House of Wax, which was an American horror film that um, people would maybe remember from Paris Hilton uh, being in it. Um, and it was shot in Queensland, in Australia. And I, I got a role in that as this kind of very uh, kind of inbred hillbilly um, redneck character, uh, with a type of character who, which I'd never played before but went on to play a few times since. Um, and that sort of changed everything because after shooting that, um, all the American cast were, became friends and they were lovely. And they said, When we have a premiere, you have to come over and Uh, brian van holt who's still a friend to this day who played my brother in it he was like "You come and stay at my place and um so i did i came over i came back to america after that horrible experience and had this awesome month where i was going to a movie premiere of a film that i was in and because the film was out and it was american and i was in it i was able to get an agent and a manager and that um that one job changed everything if i'd not done that job I think I, my entire life would have been different. I wouldn't have probably ever come, I don't imagine, unless something else had come up that I don't know about. But, mm. um, And and from that time on, I, I, uh, that was about 12 years, 12, 13 years ago, and I've sort of been spending about six months every year here ever since.
1: Okay. That, um, you've touched on something that I've raised in interviews throughout the time that I've been doing Take Fountain, and that is... But oftentimes it's not the things we do, but it's the people we meet yes. who change the course of our lives forever. Mm-hmm. And and when you get swept up in in those good people, it makes such a world of difference. It really it just propels you forward. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm so glad to have heard that experience. I can I can hear people now cheering on <laughs> buses as they listen to this podcast going around the world. Um, What's your experience been of Hollywood? So this time round, um, you're getting more opportunities. What types of roles are coming up for you? Because, as you say, that kind of hillbilly, scary, bad boy has been quite common.
0: Yeah, scary. yeah. That, that's a, that's you know, s- since coming over here, that that's really opened up a whole range of those types of characters that I not only didn't um playing australia i didn't even get auditions for in australia i mean any any you know the vast majority of the roles i did in australia were in the same vein as as both the role i did in the big steel in 1989 right through to love my way 15 years later was basically a, a nerdy guy with glasses that was right like nice guys you know um best friends that sort of stuff and if anything was in any way a bit rough or a bit scary or a bad guy i I couldn't get in on it i couldn't even get an audition and it was so frustrating because i was like well i know that i'm not like that but that doesn't mean i can't play that you know it's 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 a
1: well look at that role in in breaking bad and quarry um i mean both of those characters were just it was so not you i had to really pause check Yes. Right. You know.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's so much fun. You know, the the character in Quarry was, you know, he's my he's little like me, and he's written to be this incredibly intimidating thug. You know, this hitman guy who is uh, scaring people twice his size, and that's great fun because I could never do that. Um, but you know, if the if if you commit to it and the writing's good, um, then you can kind of get away with that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that those, those roles, I guess, initially I was doing, uh, you know, a few guest roles here and there. It was just, you know, fairly sporadic. The one role over here that really made everything get a bit easier was uh, on a show called Justified, which mm-hmm. was uh, an FX series that um, went for six seasons, finished about uh, 18 months ago, two years ago maybe. Um, and that was... That really uh, opened other doors because I was in it a lot more than just one or two episodes i was I was a recurring character, but I ended up being in about twenty five episodes over the whole show and that was uh, an amazing role too. It was a really really very dumb um, uh, southern redneck guy covered in all these white supremacy tattoos, but you kind of he was so hapless that uh, and 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 written so endearingly, I think, that, that despite um, you know, acting like a tough guy and having these horrible tattoos all over his body, you sort of felt a bit sorry for him as well because he was just a bit pathetic. Yeah. Um, so that was an incredible role. And, and, and that I think once I had that role, then being able to get auditions for uh, other stuff got a lot easier after that.
1: You do both
0: film and TV. Mm-hmm. Do
1: you have a preference or do you just like to work? or
0: I I, I think, you know, years ago the preference was always film over TV. Obviously things have changed so much in TV and TV is so good now Mm. um, that uh, it's sort of silly to prefer films over TV a lot of the time because the TV's better. Ultimately you want to do what's good. But I think uh, there's there's no question there's a certain magic and romance to to movies that are going to be on a big screen in a dark cinema. There's no doubt about Mm. it. Um, That's why I had to
1: see Mudbound
0: right on the big screen right I
1: know it's on Netflix now already right but I just yeah it's that experience
0: yeah there's something there's there's something there's nothing really quite like that mm. experience and and I you know look you know I think if you could if you could wave a wand and have whatever you wanted yeah having a, a career just making great movie after great movie would be pretty amazing but I, I I'm, I'm certainly not in that position and uh uh yeah, I'm just happy to, uh, to. i you know, I feel very lucky that I've had the opportunity to to do some really great, uh, really brilliantly written characters on really well written um, productions, uh, whether they be film or TV, or in Australia or in the US. Mm-hmm.
1: When you're when you're either recurring on a series, or on a film, and you build that relationship with people, and they become that kind of family mm-hmm. thing. What's it like for you when that ends and and you, you leave the holiday,
0: the cruise ship docks and you all go your separate ways? Yeah, it's sad. It is sad. You, it is really like a family um, and it doesn't even, it would, even if it's a short-term thing, you know, if you could shoot something for five weeks with a group of people but if you're working on it enough um, and it's a good bunch of people and it usually is, you get very close and it's it is its own little bubble. It's, 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 uh, y- y- you do create this, this little family that just includes you and even everybody's uh, partners and things are never quite going to be part of it. You know, it's, mm. it's uh, often, often, you know, when you do those productions, people don't want to bring the, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband, or wife to a rap party because they're like, ah, it's just going to be, we- you're not going to, you're not going to get, it's like, we've got our own little thing and it's not going to, You know, you're not going to feel a part of it. It's going to be a weird thing. It it is an odd, it is an odd thing that happens, and it's 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 something that uh, you know. It's I'm sure not only specific to the uh, film, TV, theatre industries, but it's certainly not something that you experience on on. on most other jobs. I, I worked mm. in an office for many years in my 20s as well as being an actor so I, I, I've had that experience as well and uh, yeah, you know, you leave an office job it's sad, you have a farewell, but there's just something something about that family environment that's created when you work together on, on a film or TV production. Mm, mm. You're listening to Take Fountain with Ella James.
1: I have to say at this point I've known you for a number of years not closely, but I know you to be a very decent and honorable human being um but i do have to ask as a man in hollywood Mm -hmm. how are you feeling about the current climate of uh kevin spacey harvey weinstein the me too movement how 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 do you as a man deal with that
0: Uh, it's horrible and uh, you know i've spoken to a lot of um uh, friends male and female about about this uh, it's it's a horrible feeling to not only to look at it from a distance and, and look at that at behavior and 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 how uh, appalling it is but it's also a horrible feeling to be a man right now in a weird way because yeah that's what
1: i'm asking because
0: and that's why i couched it as
1: you're a good guy hmm. you're a gr- i could i would never be in a in a situation with you uh, because my experience hasn't been sexual assault or, or physical attack, but it's been settle down girly, right. know your place, right. don't laugh so loud, you're a bit strong, you intimidate people, mm-hmm. all of that kind mm-hmm. of sexist thing. Mm-hmm. Not here so much, but in Australia certainly. Right. So that's why I'm asking, I would never... Um, I, I, firstly, I could never see you hurting another human being unless you're in character. Um, but just that notion of being a man... Yeah at the moment, being a good man at mm. the moment, what that's like?
0: Yeah, I think, look, uh, there's no there's no question that there's been a monumental shift that's taken place in the culture just in the last six weeks. I think in the same way uh, that probably what, you know, the, the, the women's movement in the 70s, which, you know, took years to get change, I feel like in a matter of just weeks, change uh, it has happened almost immediately in terms of, um uh i mean i'm making an assumption here but i just feels like that's in the air that 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 yeah, this time will
1: of... come when you're on a set and you see something that maybe you haven't ever noticed before right. because it's been so much of the fabric and and when you see somebody for the first time maybe saying something
0: yes yeah i think everybody will be so much more acutely aware of uh of that kind of stuff that they that they that weren't necessarily even thinking about before, um, and uh, and I'm sure that in in terms of the 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 men who have been um, guilty of the the serious kind of harassment and abuse stuff, uh, you can only assume that 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 is now. Of course, it's 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 you know it'd be wishful thinking to say it's not going to happen again. But I think this movement has been so. Major and it's it's so um, uh, it just it feels like it, does, it just feels like there's no way that this isn't going to lead to a monumental change from I mean you know this stuff exists in all industries but in terms of the Hollywood ones Hollywood one specifically yeah. um, that you know it feels like the era of the casting couch may may well be oh, over yeah. you know oh they've so- been
1: burnt now it's going to be a question of the writers' rooms. And and women's voices, because we've all got mothers, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, I don't actually like that argument of, oh, you know, I have three daughters, therefore this affects me. But w- w- more women's perspective, more women's um, sense well, coming I think, through in the yeah, writers' rooms. I mean,
0: that's happening already anyway, which is fantastic. I mean, yep. th- there are... Uh, decisions being made now and have actually been even pre-existing, all this stuff, uh, to um, hire uh, uh, more women writers, to hire more uh, female directors. Um, uh, There are some productions where they actually have it in their um, uh, rules, essentially, that, you know, Mm. um, oh, we're doing 10 episodes, Five of the directors must be female. Yeah. Um,
1: which is a big change from the affirmative action that we grew up with. Right. Which was ostensibly about women and those who supported women setting down guidelines that the patriarchy had to follow. Right. And the ensuing resentment of that. Right. Oh, this all never... You know, you're not up to it. You're just being pushed through because you know, you're a woman kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the difference with these changes that I'm seeing that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The the five of them have to be. And nobody's actually saying... You know, they're saying, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: No, I I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I mean, I I think also uh, producers have been predominantly male too, and I think that's going to change. Mm -hmm. I think people are going to want to work with women in all of those... uh, powerful jobs now they 're going to want to you know they 're going to want to avoid this stuff happening um, and you know i've uh, I, I think it 's a, a a great thing i you know i 've always been very much uh, I, I, I wish every leader of the world was a, was was a woman i think we we 'd be living in a much more peaceful and uh, less kind of war happy uh, world if that were the case yeah um, so yeah, it's all a, it's all a bit of a pretty yucky time right now. The vibe in the air is 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 pretty um, it, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's yuck is the word it's for yuck. it. Um, but it's also hopeful. I think hopeful. It, it's also hopeful. It's really I think positive. I think I think the um, the, uh, the on the other side of that yuckness is that this is this is uh, all a really good thing that's going to lead to um, um, uh, a better world.
1: Yeah. You work in both markets. You work in both Australia and and the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do you? What are the differences that you sense between them?
0: Catering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get a lot more food over here. always oh, too much food. Um, uh, I mean, I, I joke saying catering, but that is one of the differences. Only, only in that, not not to say it's necessarily better catering over here, um, but it you, you just there's just a, I've had better food and
1: craft services here than I've had at fine dining restaurants. Yeah, right. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it, can,
0: it can be really amazing. Um, you know, they can have a, a pig on a spit as one of the options, as one of the 12 options for lunch, you know. Mm. Um, so there's that. I mean, I guess there are just, you know, material things like you, you have to have a trailer over, over here when you're... Uh, if you're playing a role in something. Um, and in Australia... Uh, that's not necessarily the case so it's probably starting to happen a bit more than it used to but um, those are things that uh make make your job more comfortable um but ultimately um the actual day-to-day stuff of turning up and being on set and and saying the lines and and working with other actors and working with the crew i don't feel is that different i feel like it's Mm -hmm. a pretty similar you know there are there are Great days with great crews and great directors, and then days you know the weather where that mightn't be the case. But I don't think it's specific to being in one country were or the other. Were you just
1: in a horror shoot in Tassie, where the weather was really cold and?
0: Yeah, it wasn't a horror film, although it was made by Jennifer Kent, whose last film was *The Babadook*, which That's was right. a horror film. So
1: it wasn't but by horror. I mean, it wasn't a horror film, but oh, a horror shoot. A horror but it shoot. Was oh. Cold and really awful conditions.
0: Was that... It was. It was definitely. Uh, yeah, there were definitely days where it was pretty freezing and windy, and we were out in the in the Tasmanian wilderness in winter. Yeah, it was it was damn cold. It was probably, probably the coldest uh, I've ever been. Although uh, you know, it's I haven't shot in Toronto in a, winter. Did
1: they at least give you a trailer?
0: Uh, yes, yes, we did actually each have. They were well. They were little. Um, what were they? They were like little um, mini, mini van type things. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yes, you definitely had somewhere uh, warm to uh, to hang out. But yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty physically uncomfortable <laughs> shoot, but um, incredibly rewarding in every other respect. It was, When's the release date? Um, it'll be next year sometime. Okay. It's still being uh, it's still being edited actually. Um okay. But it's an incredible script. It's called The Nightingale, Um, and it's uh, it's an original story by Jennifer Kent. She wrote it, and uh, you would swear it was from some classic novel from the 1800s. It's actually set in 1829, 1828, um, in uh, in Tasmania, Um, and it's a a revenge thriller. I guess you would call it.
1: Wow, she's so she's so terribly impressive. We've got some great talent
0: uh, in Australia. Like
1: so proud. Of, of, you know, when I meet them over here, I think, oddly enough, I don't know what your experience has been, but I've got more access to Australian directors, um, and and great actors and cinematographers and editing, and mm-hmm. special effects people than I would ever have met mm-hmm. in Australia. I don't right. know why that is. We tend to, I tend to meet them here.
0: Yeah, you do end up meeting a lot of people here that you would never meet at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's just that thing of there's a there's a A smaller tight-knit Australian community of people in our industry here and you you cross paths paths with them in in ways you wouldn't at home.
1: You've known me as a a voiceover for for years and Mm -hmm. you're aware of the way I'm speaking now I mean I'm I was the white coat voice I was the Hmm? the doctor offering the sage advice the corporate (laughs) narrator the IVR voice that was my thing and I've recently become the imaging voice for Triple M back back in Australia and that's funny because Sidey Anderson, when he took me on, he said, your Australian accent's better than it's ever been since you moved to Australia, since you moved to America. And I thought, uh, isn't that funny? Isn't that That's funny. so crazy.
0: That is weird. I must
1: get amongst the Aussies and, and, I don't know, put it on after having a pie or something. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, what's coming up next? Because as I said, I met you last week, um, I went to a screening of... Uh, no, it's only earlier this week. Went to a screening of The Darkest Hour mm-hmm. with Gary Oldman and Ben Mendelsohn and you did a Q&A for Australians in Film with Ben mm-hmm. and I ran into you afterwards and said, now can you do my podcast? <laughs> and you said, I'm going away again. So what's coming up next for you?
0: Look, I actually don't have anything coming up. There's one There's one thing that I've got a third audition for next week, which I, I, won't, I won't mention because I don't want to jinx it, but... Oh. Uh, um, that I would love to get. If that comes through, then that would be next year sometime. Other than that, um, yeah, a couple of things that are yet to come out that I've shot, so The yeah. Nightingale. And also in March, uh, there's a there's a uh, telemovie for uh, the ABC in Australia called Riot, which I really loved doing. It was such a joyous experience. And it's basically the story of the gay and lesbian activists in the 70s who started the... The Mardi Gras in Sydney.
1: Oh, wow! So
0: it's set in from '72 to '78, and okay. um, tells the story of these uh, incredible uh, uh, real-life activists who uh, who uh, came up with that idea, and uh, it ended up being very different from the Mardi Gras we know today. It was it was literally a riot, and uh, a lot of people were bashed and mm. put in jail. And it was uh, a big
1: time. All of those men that went missing.
0: That's right, that, yeah. Well, that's... That They're
1: only now starting to get back into investigating. That's right. That's part of that same patriarchy mm-hmm. of, of the control mm-hmm. that had to be exerted that was so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, more than uncomfortable for many people. I mean, it, it took their lives. Yeah. But those are the days that are changing, aren't they? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think this, this is a beautifully uh, written script by Greg Waters and Jeffrey Walker, as extremely talented australian director he did ali's wedding recently and a million oh, other things wow. he works over here quite a lot he, he directed riot and uh wonderful group of actors xavier samuel and kate box and and, and yeah just a, a it, it's uh it was just a true uh, joy and everyone was just feeling yeah. feeling the love doing it you know we knew we knew we were sort of making something that was not only good but had sort of goodness in it you know
1: yeah yeah well that is wonderful thank you for your time i'm so glad we finally got a chance me
0: to too i'm sorry i'm sorry no, it took three years you
1: were being difficult it really <laughs> was it was just every time i approached you it was like oh no i can't do it I, right i have i have situations like that where people think that i'm the busiest person on earth right because the 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 nature of what one does here i don't for non-actors we don't just sit next to the phone and wait for it to ring mm-hmm. you know I mean I'm a comedian I write comedy I'm a writer I've got a screenplay on the boil yeah um, I'm i I'm, w- am I working on a book or is it just going to be my personal journal I don't know it's looking good um, I'm an actor I'm a commercial actor I'm a voiceover actor mm-hmm. um, and I have to arrange my social life because as a single woman if I don't then I get left behind There are. there are there can be whole weekends where I'm not doing anything right? because I haven't planned ahead. So ostensibly people are always saying to me, "Oh, you're so busy, we can never catch up with you. Right. So I totally understand that. And I didn't see that as something that was being rude. Right, right. I'm just glad we finally got I'm
0: so it. glad we did too. Yeah. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Al. You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher, iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.